the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon. 21st day of November, in case you're not keeping track. That means Thanksgiving is just two days away. I don't know about your agenda, but I know when I... um, Get on the pony to head out of the shop here tonight. I'm going to head straight to the grocery store to pick up the few last remaining items to accommodate. You ever have this problem where all of a sudden the guest list starts to grow? And, you know, what do you do? You tell people, well, sorry, there's no room at the end. My grandmother used to say when I was a kid, and I would occasionally ask if I could bring a classmate home or maybe hanging out and stay for dinner. And the answer always, ah, sure, we'll, you know, slice the meat a little thinner or pour more water in the soup. <laughs> I think that's a good good attitude to be raised with. And so uh, with that, uh, I am I'm off tonight to <laughs> add a few more goodies to accommodate the, uh, the additional guests that will be joining me at my home for Thanksgiving. And I hope whatever your plans are, maybe getting ready to head out of town or maybe having the gang come into town, friends and family from uh, uh, out of the area to, uh, to stay with you and to celebrate the holiday. Hope yours will be a very blessed Thanksgiving season. Got a lot to talk about on today's program. We're going to spend a little time talking about the entire concept of thankfulness or the impact, the power of the attitude of gratitude. Michelle Stiefes will join us a little bit later on, but I wanted to start the program tonight while we're speaking about Thanksgiving just being a couple of days away. That means for a lot of families like yours and mine, we're making plans, making preparations, big turkey sitting there in the refrigerator waiting for its time in the oven early Thursday morning. But that is not true with a lot of Bay Area families. And much of this has to do with the high cost of rents, the impact of inflation, some folks starting to feel the pinch of the efforts by the Fed to um, cool inflation. That means job losses and uh, some tough times for some folks ahead. One couple I want to introduce you to, Renee and Paula who are of retirement age and actually moved to Northern California or the Bay Area from the Pacific Northwest to get out of the cold. And they are discovering that the cost of living here in the Bay Area is going to make their Thanksgiving a little on the dreary side. Let's give a listen. Renee Shawlin worked until the age of 72. He motivated the whole crew. His wife, Paula, until she was 68. At that hotel, which was much larger. After retiring five years ago, they moved to an apartment home. We moved for my health. Paula says the warm weather helps with her arthritis. I feel better. This one-bedroom apartment is where they planned to live out the rest of their days. But their slice of paradise comes at a price. A price they can...
can no longer afford. We're supposed to enjoy our retirement. That's what we work for. And we're not enjoying our retirement. Now they can no longer eat out and they're forced to put groceries on credit cards because since moving in, rent is increasing by 50%. And we can't afford that completely out of our reach. Both now elderly and facing health problems. Takes me a little while to get my bread back. Back to continuing to look for apartments in their price range, which don't seem to exist. And they make too much money from Social Security to live in affordable housing. There is no help for us. There is nowhere to go. And they know many others are facing the same problems. Where am I going to go? Wow. Thank you for that report. And the story of Renee and Paula repeated time and time again. And, you know, when the landlord says, you know, there's a big demand, we can get a lot more for this. And, oh, by the way, the rent is going up by some ridiculous rate, Um, even though there are supposed to be controls. Not every landlord obeys them. And people oftentimes say, gee, I've looked around. There's absolutely nothing else available in the neighborhood that we like or that's convenient to work or home or work or school, things of that sort. Uh, Or in the case of Renee and Paula, would be affordable. You can't pick up the phone and call Social Security and say, hey, I need a big increase because the landlord just sent us a notice and uh, our rent is going up by double, 50 percent, whatever the number might be. Having to put food on a credit card. I'm not talking about going out to the local restaurant and doing it. I'm talking about charging and carrying a balance on a credit card at the grocery store because they just simply can't afford rent and food and medication and Medigap insurance and on and on the list goes. For couples like these, We have partnered with the Bay Area Rescue Mission to provide meals at Thanksgiving. In fact, some 700 to 800 needy families have signed up for these boxes of hope. You've perhaps heard us talk about them over the course of the last couple of weeks. A box of hope that contains a traditional Thanksgiving dinner that means a ham or a turkey. All the goodies that go along with it. The stuffing, the cranberries, the pie, the vegetables. In fact, enough food on average per box of hope to provide about 25 meals. Which means for a family like Renee and Paula, well, they'll be set and have to refrigerate or freeze part of it. For a larger family of four or five, they'll be set for the entire week. Your gift today to the Bay Area Rescue Mission of just $50 because of a matching grant challenge that doubles your gift means that not only one but two needy families will have their needs met this Thanksgiving. They'll be able to enjoy a complete traditional Thanksgiving dinner and all the trimmings, about 50 meals all told between the two families for just a one-time gift of $50 thanks to the Grant Challenge. To give your gift, simply go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. Remember, as you think about your end of your giving, your gift is fully tax-deductible and you can easily give it online using Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. Simply look Look for the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage when you go to kfax.com. What's the impact? Well, the impact in lives goes beyond just food or shelter. It's an impact that shows Christ's love without limits and introduces hurting individuals and needy families to the hope of the gospel. Oftentimes, folks that just come in for a meal, but they stay when they find so much more. Hello, my name is Erica Davis. I'm a graduating um 
uh, student at the Bay Area Rescue Mission, the Women's Discipleship Program. Um, before I came here, I had just recently uh, moved back from Paris, France, was engaged, and it ended up to be a bad decision because I relocated with my daughter, my disabled child, disabled daughter, um, who was born with um, a genetic disease, which didn't allow her to gain weight. So later on, I lost her at um, five and a half months. After all that, I struggled a lot. You know, it took a long time before I was able to get back, and I moved in with my mother. But before coming there, I had a lot. I had a bad attitude. I was really angry. I had um, anger issues. I was still mourning my daughter's loss, and um, my family didn't want to deal with me. They didn't know how to deal with me. They didn't understand where I was coming from. They didn't know how I feel. But coming to the rescue mission, when I first came, came through the door, I met a couple ladies. You know, I was like, um, I'm in a shelter. Why is this happening to me when I've done so much? I've achieved a lot in life. And But coming through the doors, you know, I kind of thought that everybody was my enemy and thought that uh, there was nothing wrong with me. I was going to come in and get out, you know. But God, in some way, he blocked and I ended up staying for the whole year, which I'm grateful for because I attended the anger management classes and met a lot of people that were similar to me, that had similar issues, who were able to help me and help me to um, see myself for who I really was instead of what I've been seeing myself as. When it turns out that I was the issue, I was the problem, I was the one that was causing chaos. I learned to uh, have relationships, which was new for me. I didn't have uh, friendships. I always had like mem family members. I was always used to being around family members growing up. But coming here teach me how to um, get along with other people and to accept people for their flaws and all, and and allow people to come in and love me because I didn't know how to love. Allow people to love me. I already knew God before coming here, but. I realized I didn't know him like I thought I did. He was way more than what I expected. He was the father that I wish I had. You know, he was the my rock, something I can depend on when nobody wants to listen to me. He was someone I can talk to in the middle of the night, anywhere, no matter where. And I'm still learning, and I'm learning that materialistic things doesn't matter anymore. You know, just being humble. I just pray to stay humble and to stay strong in God's words and to continue to uh, learn. You know, once you stop learning, then you might as well say you're dead, right? My future, I see myself maybe going to school for behavior specialist because my daughter has special needs issues and has anger issues similar to what I had. And I think by me going to, going to school for that, I think that will um, enable me to deal with her and to train me to be the better example for her. My favorite scripture, which has always been my favorite scripture, is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything I need. He lets me lie down in fields of green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right path for the honor of his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a feast for me right in front of my enemies. You pour out oil over my head. My cup runs over. I am sure that your goodness and love will follow me, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. 
Bless her heart. There's Erica. And uh, as you can hear, she kind of cried through that entire interview. She was so overwhelmed. And she told me afterwards, she said, Craig, God has done so much in my life since coming to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. I can't imagine where I would be today if it were not for this ministry. You know, the Bay Area Rescue Mission receives no grant dollars, no government funds. It relies on people just like you and me that faithfully give the $10 here, the $25 there to keep the doors open and to partner with them to provide the resources necessary to not only meet the needs of people that are in trouble like Erica, but also to help put food on the table for folks like Renee and Paula, the retired couple that's struggling since moving to the Bay Area. Thanks to a grant challenge, which will double your gift today. Your contribution of $50 will adopt two needy families and provide a family with a complete traditional Thanksgiving dinner. In fact, about 25 meals per family. Your gift of $50 with the grant challenge means two families will have their needs met for an entire week. Simply to give your gift, go online to kfax.com and look for the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. Remember Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. Give that gift now. And help make this Thanksgiving a little brighter for a hurting individual, a homeless person, or a needy family. It's showing Christ's love without limits. The Bay Area Rescue Mission. Go to our homepage and click on the banner at kfax.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. 20 minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock here on your Tuesday ride home. We've talked about Thanksgiving and the importance of this time of year to not only um, show our gratefulness, but also to express our gratefulness. But at the core, what does that really mean? If you listen throughout the broadcast day, you have heard Jordan Michaels talk about having an attitude of gratitude. But if we do so, um, beyond simply expressing, hopefully, our true feelings and showing appreciation to the Lord for all that he has given us, Are there any other benefits, maybe benefits that could go beyond just one time a year that we would carry with us 365 days of every year? With some insights, best-selling author, corporate trainer, and certified performance and life coach, Michelle Steifes joins us. And Michelle, happy Thanksgiving to you. Welcome. Great to have you with us again. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Craig. Thanks for having me back. Now, let's talk about this whole notion of having an attitude of gratitude. I know certainly during this time of the year, you know, even sometimes we're forced to do it. Uh, Folks like me will get up ahead of the Thanksgiving meal and say a prayer and then ask everybody to go around the table and express what it is that they're grateful for. And you get a few a few people that will cringe and, oh, do I have to? It's coming from the kids. But I'm wondering if beyond just simply expressing our appreciation this time of the year because it's kind of customary in in American culture. If there are other benefits, longer-lasting benefits to this. There's definitely longer-lasting benefits. In fact, I recommend a daily practice of gratitude. Even if it's only one or two minutes a day, there's a, a great amount of shift that happens in the brain as well as the physiology or the neurochemistry of the brain. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that today. Let's dive in. When we talk about that attitude of gratitude, then um, it, it, it must is it must we change our attitude. Certainly there are things like endorphins that get released. There's there's chemical reaction. There's a lot going on, isn't there? There certainly is, and much more than most people realize. We have 60 neurochemicals in our brain, and the endorphins you just mentioned are only one of them. 
So oxytocin and serotonin, dopamine, those three are really huge or major factors in terms of the neurochemistry that's released when we express true gratitude. And that, of course, comes from the heart. So I want to talk a little bit today in our short amount of time about not only how to release those more effectively, but why it's important and the benefits that come from that. Well, let's start with the benefits, because I think that'll draw more people in. When they hear living an attitude, uh, living a life that demonstrates gratitude, having that attitude of gratitude, people say, okay, other than the person that I'm showing my, my sense of appreciation for, how does all of this benefit me? Well, first of all, if anyone is dealing with mental uh, wellness, and that seems to be a big issue nowadays with all the negativity in our world, uh, 16% of patients who kept a gratitude journal report not only reduced pain symptoms from released dopamine, uh, but letters of gratitude in addition to counseling recovery faster in the mental illness as opposed to those who only focused on the negative attitudes. Other things that you could expect from a regular practice of gratitude is a a greater sense of awareness, positive thoughts and emotions, increased self-satisfaction, improved moods, a stronger immune system, and uh, actually even optimum blood pressure and cardiac function, as well as improved sleep. And the list really goes on and on. So we talk about improved sleep, um, which, of course, is a big plus for anybody these days with the kind of stressful lives that we all lead. And and I would imagine, too, that when when that paradigm shift in our brain starts to happen, it's also going to impact the way we interconnect or relate to others and the way others see us, too. Oh, most definitely. I mean, we all have experienced a time or two where somebody just came across very pessimistic, very negative, very focused on everything that was wrong, um, almost to a point of of wanting to just run. (laughs) And then we've also experienced times where someone just came in and they lit up the room, you know, just noticing all the things that are uh, good and promising and hopeful and picking out the good in others. And I think all of us agree that the latter of the two is something that we want on our epitaph. Absolutely. And and even as we're picking the list of who's going to attend dinner at our home on Thanksgiving, we're going to try to uh, populate that list with as many positive people as we possibly can. And if we have to invite Uncle Charlie anyway, we're going to probably put him down at the end of the table (laughs) as far away from the rest of the group as possible. So there are benefits, not only in terms of sleep and your own sense of well-being, but even in terms of how you you, you relate with others and how they relate with you. So let's get down to the big question, and that is, Michelle, how do we go about doing this? How do we rewire our thinking, our brain, to to be more engaged with an attitude of gratitude that's more, how should we say, natural as opposed to forced? Well, that's something that I talk a lot about a lot in my book. And, and really, I'd mentioned earlier, there's 60 neurochemicals in our body. And, and with every thought and every action, whether it's internal or external, you're releasing neurochemicals at the receptor sites. And you have a thousand trillion receptor sites or synaptic connections in your brain by the age of 35, which are developed throughout life. Now, at those receptor sites, uh, if you say, for example, you're feeling very negative, uh, you're only thinking about the things that are wrong rather than things that are right, you're picking out uh, the worst of others rather than the best of others, um, then you're going to release things like uh, you know, adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine, which are going to be this experience of, of negativity and, and uh, hopelessness and discouragement and disparagement. And that, of course, leads to things like depression and anxiety. 
Whereas if you choose to think about things that are right and good and try to pick out the good in others and look for things that you're actually thankful for on a consistent basis, you're going to release things like serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine. Now, oxytocin is kind of the love drug, drug, if you will. That's when we, you know, feel affection towards others. Serotonin is, is kind of the stabilizer. And many times serotonin is measured in terms of whether someone is depressed or not. That's only one factor of many. And then dopamine is the happy drug or the reward neurochemical. And so we're really a walking pharmaceutical company in our own rights. And if we choose to think the right things, say the right things, and practice daily habits, we're going to notice a significant difference in as little as 30 days. Wow. And, of course, what better time to get started than here at Thanksgiving? Yes, absolutely. I agree. And so yeah. for people to kind of kick things off, give me an insight, because this, this, is, this is having to rewire, in the cases of some of us, years of the attitude of negativity and so forth. Can you give me one insight to kind of get kick-started? Oh, definitely. And I would always encourage people to start out small, especially those who've been caught in the negativity trap. And I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone that it's easy or, you know, you need to just straighten up because I know it can be an uphill battle for a lot of people out there. But even just taking two minutes a day to write out five things you're grateful for and five people you are grateful for is an enormous start. And just putting those in handwriting is going to create a greater sense of retention It's going to help you remember and go back over it again and again throughout the day. And then to take it a little step further, maybe just show appreciation one to two times a day or write a a thank you note or a text maybe once a week. Those are just a few things you can start with. Obviously, we can go a lot farther than that. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate the insights and a great way to kickstart not only a better attitude for Thanksgiving, but hopefully some new lifelong habits, the habits that you can begin with in the launch of uh, Thanksgiving and take with you into the new year and beyond. Michelle Steifes, author of Reframe and Rewire Greatness Through Daily Routine and The Machine Inside Me, How to Change Your Brain and Discover the Power Within You. And the book's both available, of course, through her website at ipvconsulting.com. That's ipvconsulting.com. And our thanks to Michelle Steifes for being with us. Happy Thanksgiving, and Michelle. And we uh, wish you a great New Year as well. Time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, down through recent years in medical science, there have been some amazing developments. I mean, there's been great strides towards early detection of cancer, cancer treatment. We've seen replacements of arms, hands. There was even a recent surgery replacing a good portion of a man's face that had been burned off due to a tragic electrical accident. But for all of the advancements in science to help restore a body that has been injured or to even in some ways modify or change it, it doesn't change the core of who you are or how you were born. And the reality is that science still shows that men have two X chromosomes and women have an XY. And no amount of body part changes or replacement can ever change that reality. And yet, in spite of that, there is a movement taking place in our country that 
is being driven by such a, a minute minority, it's almost surprising that it's a topic of conversation. But conversation it is. Sometimes folks want to stop the conversation, as in the case of my next guest. Uh, she had her conversation stopped and for unbelievable reasons. Let's get some details. Sophia Laurie joins us, Outreach Director with the California Family Council. And, um, Sophia, I mean, th- this is a story about not only the re- denial of reality, but even the denial of First Amendment rights. Tell us what was going on. You apparently were, were speaking at an event that happened to be taking place at a public library, and it wasn't long before things went off the rails. Bring us up to speed. Well, exactly. I was speaking at a library in Davis, California. I was there to sh- simply share my story about being a college athlete and how when I was 10 years old, all I wanted to do was play college soccer. And I was able to achieve that goal as long as I put my mind and hard work to it. But I wanted to share that today, current girls cannot achieve the same goal because boys are being allowed in girls' sports, men are being allowed in women's sports. And by simply saying that statement, the librarian tried to shut me down, tried to shut down the event, and ultimately he violated my First Amendment right. Wow. And, you know, the 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 sort of the story behind the story um, goes to the heart of a speaker that you've got showcased at the upcoming fundraiser on November 30th uh, down in Costa Mesa, uh, where a well-known and celebrated All-American swimmer with, in fact, five titles in that arena um, was put into a very uncomfortable and, and many, I think, might argue unfair position. Speaking of Riley Gaines, to have to compete with someone that, for the sake of conversation, will say has two X chromosomes in a group of other people who all singularly have XY chromosomes. And somehow that was thought to be fair, even though under other set of circumstances or maybe in a previous time, uh, most anybody would say, yeah, if it's going to be called women's swimming, it should only be occupied by women. But that was not the case with uh, Riley Gaines. And, And part of the story that you're trying to share to raise awareness about this really got shut down, didn't it? Absolutely, it did. And like you touched on, we're going to be having Riley Gaines at our 20th anniversary gala in Orange County next week on November 30th. And I'm so grateful for all the work she's doing. I like to call her the team captain um, fighting for this protection of women's sports and spaces. You know, we're speaking common sense. We're speaking basic biological truth by just saying, listen, Men shouldn't be in women's sports. Men shouldn't be in women's locker rooms and bathrooms. And we're seeing it happen day after day after day. And yet that conversation is trying to be shut down by some people. And how can we advance as a society? How can we advance as a nation and be successful and protect women's sports and spaces if we can't even have that open conversation? So I'm just so grateful for Riley and her leadership on truly taking this on. And no matter the death threats or the hate or attacks she's getting, she's continuing to stand up for what's right and what's just common sense, honestly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sadly, we're heading more and more in the direction, particularly in a state like California, where these kinds of discussions, debates, disagreements are going to continue. Uh, and now it's beginning, beginning into, even to spill into the arena where uh, don't you dare even speak the truth or even discuss this from a scientific medical standpoint, because if it runs contrary into a certainly certain narrative, you're just going to be shut down, you know, so much for a first amendment rights um the california family council of course stands to help alert people to stories just like this and so many others affecting californians uh, tell us if you would uh, sophia a bit about the upcoming banquet i realize that you know we're we're 400 miles away but there might be some folks that say hey i'd love to go down to to the Southland and participate in this yeah absolutely you know we're so excited to be celebrating our 20 years anniversary at California Family Council. So it's just been 20 years of advancing God's design for life, family, and liberty across California's church, capital, and culture. So we want to get together and just celebrate that because in a state like California, it can be so dark. Sometimes people so often just think if you're a Christian or conservative that we're constantly losing. But we've had so many wins just in the past couple of years, whether it's we've gotten bills that we've been supporting passed or we've gotten amendments made on pretty bad bills. And so we want to come together and celebrate that. And also just with what we're seeing with the transgender ideology being pushed, that's why we invited Riley to come in and speak and share her personal testimony. So it's going to be a phenomenal night. Um, it is in Orange County. It's at the Hilton in Costa Mesa on November 30th at 6 p.m. And we do have tickets still available at CaliforniaFamily.org. So people can still get tickets. They'll be able to hear from Riley. They'll be able to hear from Jonathan Keller, the president of California's Family Council. He shares a phenomenal message of how to stay hopeful in a state like California, and he dives into some of those wins that we have had. So it's a great night just to be surrounded by like-minded believers that are ready to fight the good fight here. And finally, what about Riley's story? I know that the the, the sad uh, miscarriage of of fairness here, quite frankly, was that um, NCAA officials, in spite of the reality uh, with this uh, swim meet back in 2022, um, nevertheless allowed a male to compete in the the female competition. Uh, That male was then granted the win. Um, you know, it just seems to me that as much as we try to find parity, we try to level the playing field, we try to be fair to women, that sometimes this is even rigged against women. And it's the very people that tend to scream the loudest about feminism and equal rights and fair treatment of women that sometimes are the perpetrator of this kind of injustice. Absolutely. We've seen so many people that claim to be feminists and part of this feminist movement completely ignore reality of what it means to be a woman and that's what we saw here with Riley she had to go up against the swimmer Leah Thomas Um, his birth name is actually Will Thomas and they tied down to the very second which is very rare for swimming it's the same thing as uh, running you know it's very hard to tie down to the very second and um, like you mentioned Um, ultimately he got to go home with the trophy he got to take pictures with the trophy and she was left there and that's when she realized she has to speak up and stand up for herself because the NCAA isn't because California isn't because our government isn't 
and she kind of gets to then share that story of hope of all that's happened in this past year. We know in California, we're fighting to kind of change what's already into law, but in other states across the nation, we're seeing legislation being passed protecting women's sports and spaces. So she gets to share that story of hope as well, which is a great ending to all kind of what she's been through. All right. Well, we appreciate the update on that. And if folks want to get more information, they can simply go to the California Family website. It's easy, californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Our thanks to Sophia Lurie, the Outreach Director with the California Family Council, for that update. 544 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a boss years ago when I was just a young buck, a lot of years ago, <laughs> who said to me when he was going to be out of town and uh, leaving me in charge, he said, now, Craig, if something comes up, if there's some sort of an emergency or a problem or an issue that develops, I would rather you do something to address it, even if that something is wrong, than rather do nothing at all. Pretty solid advice, I think, and I've carried that with me all these years. I think that that same viewpoint perhaps might be apropos to the tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians who every year continue to struggle with the big question. Meaning, what exactly does God have in store for me? What is his plan for my life. We know that God has a plan. A lot of folks feel as if he's not been willing to share that plan. And so as a result, we kind of sit back idly, quietly, doing absolutely nothing, waiting for, I don't know, sky riding in the sky, the thunderous voice of God to awaken us one night, something of a significant sign. And I have to wonder if maybe the advice that was given to me by my boss many, many years ago might be the same advice that God might offer anyone who is struggling to try and identify their calling, what God's will is for their life, that he would rather you do something then absolutely nothing. Joining me now is Johnny Moore. He is chief of staff to Mark Burnett, Roma Downey. Of course, Mark is creator of a number of um, award-winning series. You'll recognize Survivor, Amazing Race, the Bible miniseries, the movie, The Son of God. He spent many years serving as both campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty University. He's made a big change, and he's detailing not just his own personal experience, but helps to answer this big question of what it is that I'm supposed to do with my life. We welcome Johnny Moore to the conversation. Johnny, great to have you with us today. Thanks, Craig. Good to be with you. This is, um, this is a question I think that all of us struggle with, certainly as believers. Sometimes we, we struggle with it at multiple times and occasions in our life as the circumstances around us change. This notion of trying to ascertain what exactly is that God wants me to do with my life. I think it's encouraging to see so many Christians that want to be sensitive to the Lord's will, but frustrating that so many will waste sometimes weeks, months, years, a lifetime, never really quite feeling as if they've gotten an answer to that question. Yeah, and I think the word you just used there is the key word. They're expecting to feel like they have an answer to this question. And you know, one of the reasons why I wrote my book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life, is because you know, I, I think we spend way too much time feeling and not enough time doing. And you know, this question of God's will is a lot easier than we make it when we actually look at what Scripture says about it. 
Let's spend some time talking about this. Um, again, there's this notion, and you talk about it in the book, and we've got a couple of choices here. Uh, we can either wait until God gets us started, or we can go until he stops us. So one thing for sure I find out, certainly this has been true in my own life experience, that if I'm heading down the wrong road, the Lord will surely close the door. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote this book in part because I spent a dozen years at Liberty University with, with, you know, thousands of college students that I was trying to influence and trying to lead them and teach them and get them prepared for life. And my door in my office as campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty was just rolling with students that were, that were struggling with this question. And to a student, nearly every single one would say, you know, I just wish God would show me what to do with my life. God, just show me what I'm supposed to do. And, and they were waiting on the sidelines of life for God to just send them the blinking sign from the sky, for God to fire the gun in the air and say, go. And you know, what, one of the points I make, make in my book, what am I supposed to do with my life, is that God's will is more about going until he stops you, not waiting for him to tell you to go. And, you know, and people push back on that and say, you know, well, that's not that's not what the Bible teaches. But but actually, it's all over the Bible. And the quintessential example is the Apostle Paul. You know, you don't see Paul praying, asking God whether he should go to Athens or uh, or you know Philippi. He just goes. He goes to the places where the people were, and then occasionally God stops him along the road of life. And so I think far too many Christians are sort of waiting on the sidelines of life for God to tell them to go and. They really need to start going and expect God to not open doors as much as shut them. Is there a big practical side to all of this? And, and, and maybe you can answer this question in relationship to um, your own life experience. You, you've made a major career shift from having spent time within academia, counseling, pastoral responsibilities there on campus at Liberty, your, your service as a senior VP of Liberty University, now working in Hollywood and in, in film production with, with some remarkably talented individuals. But many might argue that these are kind of, you know, opposite ends of sort of the uh, the um, life skills, life work continuum. I, I would wonder from your own experience, if you had an inkling 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that God would have you where you are at today, if God had laid out this very perfect roadmap at the very beginning and saying, Johnny, at some point you will be here. Are there a lot of people for whom that would so frighten them to death that they would run in the opposite direction? Well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have believed God if he would have told me that I would have ended up here doing what I'm doing. But, but isn't that what's interesting? I mean, God works in these strange and mysterious ways. And, you know, the, the first point I make in the book, which I think is the, the biblical principle when it comes to the will of God, is that God's will is more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. Mm. It's more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. You know, this phrase, God's will, that we use all the time, right? I mean, it's one of the most frequently used phrases in Christianity, yet it's not used as frequently in the Bible. It's only used a few times, and its primary usage in the New Testament is when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. He didn't say, this is God's will, that you live in this place or that you do this thing. I think God's will, biblically speaking, is more about your character. It's more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. And so... You know, I, I, and so here I am. You know, some some people think did Johnny leave ministry, right? Because he was a pastor, and now he's working in Hollywood and and you know, film and television. 
and, and actually, it's quite quite the contrary. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, God led me to work with with Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, and they're producing unbelievable things. I mean, this Easter Sunday on NBC, you know, a full television series called AD will be debuting, and it's the uh, the story of the birth of the church in the Book of Acts. Right, and and so you know somehow God was preparing me for something I didn't know, and then He just sort of interrupted me on the road of life, and He led me a direction, and He didn't stop me, and here I am. You know, you make an excellent point, I think, because so often, particularly in terms of of the context in which we try to sort of box in God and the definition of what it means to be uh, called or to be in, actively engaged in some sort of a ministerial vocation or, or ascertaining God's will for your life, there tends to be, I think, sometimes the misperception that a call always comes with a title, that it, God is preparing me, God's will is that I be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. But I think as you're suggesting, Johnny, um, you're role in fulfilling God's will for your life doesn't always come with a title, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, you know, in fact, you know, the famous missionary in Scripture is the Apostle Paul, but he wasn't actually a missionary in the way that we think of missionaries today. He was a tent maker. You know, he didn't, he didn't live on the support of churches, you know, to, to preach the gospel and give, his, and give his ministry around the world. He actually had a job. He made sense as he traveled around the Roman Empire in the, in the, in the Jewish world at the time. You know, preaching the gospel as he went. And so, you know, in fact, there's this, this really, really interesting moment where, you know, God's doing remarkable, remarkable things. Thousands of people are coming to Christ, and everybody wants to stop what they're doing. They want to leave their jobs, and they want to become preachers like the Apostle Paul. And what Paul says to them, he writes to the church at, at Corinth, he says, no, no, don't do that. Stay in your jobs, because that's where God's put you. He's put you to be a light in that place. And so, you know, I, I think we really, really get in trouble when we think that, you know, in order to honor God or to do ministry or to preach the gospel or these very spiritual things, you've got to be like a pastor or a missionary. And actually, you know, if you study why the church grew as quickly as it did in the first century, you know, one of the reasons why it grew so quickly is because there were Christians everywhere doing everything. They had totally, were every part of society. They were just living and working normal everyday lives but they were the lights of the world making the world a better place if they, they went along and so I, I think this this question of god's will gets a little little messy when we think that if we're going to honor god then we have to do these very ministerial things when actually a lot of times what god wants to, to do is not sort of leave the secular world so to speak but but to be light and salt within it that might be the call. Well, and you make an excellent point in terms of looking at the life of Paul um, or, or so many figures that we see throughout particularly New Testament scripture that uh, it, it was less so about them knowing going into all of this what it was that God was going to raise them up to do and rather more about them just going and doing. There was less focus on uh, trying to understand that, you know, Paul, I'm someday going to become the principal writer of the New Testament. No, that that wasn't part of the game for him at all. It was about who he was in his relationship with Christ and simply moving forward. And, and maybe therein lies the key for a lot of us, understanding that God's will is, is not about what you do as much as it is about who you are. Many of those lessons inside the pages of the book we're discussing today with Johnny Moore, it's called, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation with Johnny tonight. And as we do so, answer the ageless question. Is this about an event? Or is it more about process? That is this edition of Lifeline continues. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.